Hello there friends and welcome back to The Longest Night which is a little show about the HBO series Game of Thrones. My name is Rob and my name is Lizzie and together we are making our way through all 73 episodes of Game of Thrones. Me for what must be, I don't know, 100th time and Lizzie for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Longest Night GOT. That is at Longest Night GOT. If you want to come and carry on the discussion over there, and as I've said, I'm one of the moderators over on the R slash Narth subreddit. So come along and say hi to us as well if you like and want to chat about the show. Uh, the music that brought us in today was by me again. I did mention at the start of this new season that I would be promoting the release of my new EP, which is called My Thoughts Only Have More Threads, and now it has finally been released. It was released on the 21st of February, uh, so you can all go and check that out. I'll leave a link to my Bandcamp page in the show notes, and you can all go over and see what you think. So, Lizzie, your week, how has it, how has it been since we last met up to talk about Game of Thrones? Uh, it's been an event for one. I think I said in the last episode that I was going to get vaccinated. That didn't happen because I have a severe allergy to peanuts and I can't have a specific variant of vaccine. So that's been that's been exciting. They're putting you back in next week though, right? Yeah. I mean, so fingers crossed. So by the time the next recording comes out, I'll be all sorted. Fingers crossed. Oh, I hope so too. Wood, you know. Yeah, I'm awaiting my text as well. Um, for those of you who yeah. aren't in the UK, our vaccination program at the moment is being divided up into nine priority groups, and we've gone through groups one to four, which were the over eighties, NHS staff and care staff, and people who were extremely clinically vulnerable. So people who were going through. Um, intense cancer treatment or have got serious comorbidities um, and we've moved through groups one to four and now we're on to groups six to nine which are people who are less of a priority but still a priority and I think me and Lizzie because of your allergies and because of my autoimmune issues we fall into group six mm. right? Yeah probably. So um, so that means that you know, Lizzie got her text, and I'm 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 awaiting mine. Uh, <laughs> um, I think my both my parents have had theirs now. I was going to say, I mean, we're we're fairly nearby, so hopefully you should have yours fairly soon. I would have thought. Mm. Yeah, well, but uh, yeah, I mean, we've had some good news this week. I, I mean, I'll believe it at the time when it actually happens, but it seems like we do have a way out of lockdown. And we mm. might even be able to record together this year, which is crazy. Yeah, hopefully uh, I'm, hopefully we're on target for season four. We can watch a few of those together. <laughs> um, that's my yeah. optimistic target. And my less optimistic target is maybe season six. So um, yeah, but enough about season four and season six. Let's get back to season two.
Okay, so this week we are going to be discussing Season 2, Episode 8 of Game of Thrones, entitled The Prince of Winterfell. It was first broadcast on May 20th, 2012. It was written by David Benioff and Dan Weiss, and it was directed by Alan Taylor, and it was broadcast to an audience of 3.86 million people. So, still posting incredibly high figures. Um, mm. What did you... Because you messaged me in the aftermath of this episode and you went, I was right, and I had to go, wait, what about? And <laughs> then I remembered after you told me. So, what, what did you think of the episode, though? It's all right. Um, I can't say I was particularly enthused about it, but it's it's more sort of evolution of the storylines that we've seen in the last couple of episodes and yeah um like it's it's it, not every episode is going to be an absolute stunner but i i liked it it's a good episode yeah um i think that i mean i watched this episode earlier today before our recording and my partner walked into the room and she'd heard the Game of Thrones theme when I'd started to watch the episode. And she said, so which episode was it? And I said, it was season two, episode eight, Prince of Winterfell. And she went, oh, what happens in that one? And I feel like that's the general reaction to this episode in the fandom as well. It's one of those episodes where I feel like you would be hard pushed to pick a scene out of this episode yeah. and go, oh, that's yeah. the one. Because I thought the scene involving the um, Dragonglass obsidian, uh, the stuff that Sam finds, I thought that was in an mm. earlier episode. Um, I thought that Arya, Gendry and Hot Pie getting out of Harrenhal was a later episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, my memories of this are kind of hazy, but it reminded me a little bit of season one, episode eight, actually, where we have to watch the characters kind of confront their fears in the sight of another inevitable battle and another inevitable war. Lots of characters trying to protect their loved ones in sight of what they're worried is maybe the end for them. But I think it speaks to how season two is structured. Instead of this structure that we have of a traditional television season where things build up towards the finish, season two has a very different structure where it feels more like the book, where we seem to be kind of slowing down at the point where we should be speeding up. Mm. And there's a lot of just, oh, let's just check in with these guys, shall we? And a lot of the scenes kind of go around what we've done before. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, not, you know, like, I mean, still a, a, you know, a great episode of a great show, but one that fans don't really clamor for or think, oh, yes, that that's one. That's a great one. That is, you know, it's, um, yeah, one that nobody really remembers or calls out to particularly. Mm, it's not, it's, I feel sometimes even in some of those sort of, not weaker episodes, but not the most eventful ones. There's kind of a main event in one part, it'll be in King's Landing or Winterfell or such. There's nothing in this one that really jumps out. It's all just... It's still building to something. It's not like absolutely nothing is happening. What's the point? Why are we here? Because we know that come the next episode, 
chances are Stannis Baratheon will have landed on King's Landing and it'll all be, you know, chaos from there. I'm sworn to protect you, to serve. Then serve me. If my dragons are in the House of the Undying, then take me there. That's what the Warlock wants. He told you so himself. If you enter that place, you will never leave again. His magic is strong. And what of my magic? You saw me step into the fire. You watched the witch burn. What did the flames do to me? Do you remember? Until my last breath, I will remember. Um, <laughs> I wondered whether it was worth <laughs> visiting, really, but... um. Daenerys and Jorah argue about whether she should leave Karth straight away instead of searching for her dragons at the House of the Undying. And by the end mm. of their conversation, they've made the decision to go and rescue the dragons. And that's, yeah. that's it. That That is all of Karth. It's just, just sort of put in right at the end of the episode. Oh, yes, remember this. Mm, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I, I feel bad because... I. I usually would have made a joke about this. And then you mentioned Amelia Clark's health issues around this time. It's like, oh, oh bloody hell, it's kind of... I feel, feel bad now. But I do think it's a bit of a shame that we never really find out how they escaped from Pyat Pri in the previous episode. Yeah, it just seems that they run out of the building and that's sort of it. Yeah, uh... what, Yeah, like Pyat Pri gets to the door. It's like, oh, I, I can't go out there. What am I thinking? Yeah, I don't know if it's the I don't know if Payet Pri's idea was to scare them or to catch them. And if he's if the idea was to scare them, then he did the job. But if his idea was to catch them, then he's not done his job. I don't know if you have anything else to add about this scene. It's just well, I was going to say that <laughs> we um we've ended up talking about last week's scene in Karth instead of this scene, uh, this episode's <laughs> scene in Karth. So I think that yeah. maybe says a lot. I do, I like the idea that, uh, you know, they bring up that Jorah will never forget seeing Daenerys wake up from the fire mm. um, with the dragons and that he'll remember it for the rest of his life. And it kind of confirms... Things that we already know that Jorah is in awe of her, and Daenerys believes that she is magical, and that she has a destiny to fulfill. Mm. But yeah, yeah, that's Karth, really. I suppose. Yeah, we, we. I don't think we need this scene. I think it was kind of a given that Daenerys would go after her dragons, regardless of where they are. I feel like they've done it because they just need to remind us that. Daenerys' dragons have been stolen. Don't mm. forget. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's basically yeah. it. If my uncle Stannis lands on the shores of King's Landing, I'll ride out to greet him. A brave choice, Your Grace. I'm sure your men will line up behind you. They say Stannis never smiles. I'll give him a red smile from ear to ear. Imagine Stannis' terror. I am trying. Tyrion and Bronn, and eventually then Varys, are planning the defence of King's Landing by researching loads of old books and old texts. And they deduce that Stannis will attack the Mudgate, which is the weakest of the city's uh, gates, 
and it's probably one of the closest points to the water as well. Later on, Cersei accuses Tyrion of trying to have Joffrey killed uh, during the imminent battle that's probably coming against Stannis. In response to this conspiracy, she has Roz beaten, mistakenly believing her to be Tyrion's special companion, believing her to be Shay. Tyrion assures Cersei, though, that she will pay for her actions one way or another. After rushing then to check if Shay is safe, uh, Tyrion has a conversation with Varys the next day, and they have a joke about Joffrey's kind of undeserved and unwarranted arrogance, and then Varys informs Tyrion that Daenerys is indeed alive and has three dragons, and that's when we transition to that crucial scene in Carth. Um <laughs> and at sea, uh, approaching the capital, Stannis discusses Davos's backstory, how he broke the Siege of Storm's End to give food to the captives, and promises to name Davos as his hand if they take King's Landing before the night mm-hmm. is through. So, yeah, a bit more to talk about in uh, King's Landing this week. What have you What have you got? Yeah, a fair bit more to talk about. I've, um, just going back to the start there, I think it's really kind of interesting that Bronn knows as much as Tyrion is, you know, he's well-read and he's intelligent and we know all this. He is not someone who has, you could tell he's not someone who's been part of a siege before. Mm. And so it feels like Bronn is sort of explaining, you know, what really happens because he's he, he's presumably been there before. And that he knows like how how it is to be a commoner on that side. Yeah, I really loved his description of a city under siege, about the thieves yeah. turning on the common people and about how the thieves turn into the richest people when food becomes more important than gold for yep. people's survival. Um I look kinda of love that scene because it shows that <laughs> kind of breaks down this pretense that I think a lot of um fantasy medieval stuff has. Which is that planning battles is actually really boring. A lot of it's just about really dull tactics and like yeah, yeah, like playing a long game of Risk only like <laughs> you know with your own life and you know all the exciting stuff comes later. But in order for there to be exciting stuff, there has to be boring moments of just being sat around looking at books, going like, well, they did this a hundred years ago and this seemed to work for them and this might work and this might work and it ends up with Bron just kind of <laughs> cleaning his fingernails with a knife. Yeah, it's, it's more like they're planning for an exam than a, a siege. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so I've, you know, I've had a note on that, but also I had a note about um, the scene with Cersei and Tyrion. Yeah. Um, in that I can't help but wonder if Cersei is aware that Roz isn't the woman that Tyrion brought to King's Landing. And she may well be using Roz as kind of a trap to force Tyrion into a difficult decision. Like, you say nothing and you have an innocent woman executed, or you reveal the truth and you put yourself in Shay in danger. I think we'll put a pin in that, because that is a very interesting theory mm. that could go places or and also couldn't may not go places. Uh, but I do, as as ever with uh, quite a lot of your theories that come up, I enjoy your the way that you track it logically from the point where we see it start to the point where it could possibly go. So I'm happy to leave you um, <laughs> leave you a bit uncertain there as to whether your theories are true or whether they're not true. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, but I do like where you're going, and 
to be honest, if there is one line that this episode can be remembered for, it is the um, joy will turn to ashes in your mouth and you'll know that the debt is paid. That is, um, yeah, yeah, that's a line that quite a lot of people come back to and sort of go, yeah, that's a cool line. Um, I wish Tyrion was more threatening um, in moments, uh, more threatening in later moments. And um, yeah, with with things like that, I think that is a a great line. It's um, much darker side to his character. Um, that we've not yeah, seen we, so we far. Yeah, we haven't really seen this this much. Even in this episode, we usually just see him brush it off with like a bit of sarcasm and wit. Like we see the um, when Joffrey's discussing, you know, going down to shake Stannis's hand and then cussing him, and he goes, "Oh, imagine Stannis's terror!" <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just a com- a complete bitch. But. Um, he also, in, then later on, he adds the line about, why are all the gods such vicious cunts? Where's the gods of tits and wine? Yeah, gods it, of tits and wine is um, is quite a famous <laughs> one as well that people do come back to. But yeah, it's a side we really haven't seen much from Tyrion before, if at all. This this side of him that can be, you know, you you don't comprehend what I'm capable of and I'm I'm a man of my word. Um, and at night, later that night, um, we find out Davos's backstory and why he... We, well, we find out a bit more of it anyway, and we find out why he came to be in Stannis' service and how he came to be in Stannis' service. So it kind of gets explained by Stannis where before the events of season one, um, Stannis held Storm's End, which is a castle in the Stormlands, which is kind of near King's Landing. Um, mm. It's a bit further up the coast. And Stannis uh, held that castle for as long as he was asked to. But in the middle of it, the the siege had led to basically a famine in the castle. And Davos managed to break through the lines of the, of the siege um, and give everybody food. But because he was a smuggler, which is, you know, committing crimes technically, Stannis mm. had to punish him in some way you know, this this honourable thing that people do. And the, the decision that he made to punish him was to chop his four, chop four of his fingers off. Or at least at the knuckles upwards. So I think, you know, he's got little stumps where his fingers should be on his right hand. I think it's his right hand. Yeah. And, but at the same time, he gave him status and made him quite an important person in his in his rank and essentially made him a right-hand man. And that was the complicated way for Stannis to say, well, you've done something wrong, but I have to reward you for it because you saved my life and you saved everybody else's lives and you allowed us to complete, uh, you allowed us to hold the, hold the castle under siege. And so we get um, Davos then being told that if they manage to take King's Landing, then he'll be made Hand of the King, which would be a... A big deal for him, and a bit of a if if it, if it does come to happen, it will be a big win for him over Melisandre, because um, yeah. Davos has put himself in this position now where he's uh, trying to move Stannis away from Lady Melisandre's influence, and if he can get to be Hand of the King, then uh, that might be a big win for him. Potentially, but we also have mention of John Arryn and Ned Stark in this episode. And we know what happened to them. Okay. So I'm not saying that being hand to the king is a position of disadvantage, but 
it's not a particularly safe position to be in because if you if you step even an inch out of line then it's very unlikely that you make it out alive hmm. there's a lot of mentions of onions with davos in this scene yes it uh, refers to yeah he is referred to as the onion knight yeah um it's just a thing that he was known for smuggling and for moving around so he, he tied an onion to his belt, which was the style at the time. It's always the style in Westeros. It never goes away. <laughs> lots of onions tied to lots of belts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Where's Zakin? How would I know? I need him now. Lord Tywin's marching tonight. You need him. He's helping me. I saw him. Where? Where? Oh. Where? They're rushing out the gates a few hours ago. On patrol. Check out my ears. Tywin departs to face Rob's army in the field. So that's her scenes with Arya. Uh, his scenes with Arya done. That's uh, that's yeah. That's it. One of the show's best storylines gone up in smoke. Um, I know. Shame. But as Tywin starts to leave Harrenhal, Arya suddenly realizes, shit, I could just name him. I could just name him and kill him because he's going to go and fight Rob, and I need to stop him. But Arya can't find Jack and Agar and is therefore unable to name Tywin before he rides off. And when Jacken comes back, Arya is angry with him and she forces him to help her, Gendry and Hot Pie escape from the castle. And later that night, they are able to pass through the castle's gates, discovering that Jacken has indeed killed all of the guards as he promised. Yeah, yeah. So... More display of Jack and Agar's power. That is all of Arya's names off the list now, and more besides. Yeah, it's it's more than one name, surely, unless the guards all have the same name. Uh, no, uh, but that is kind <laughs> of explained. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was the promise. It's, um, it's weirdly comedic, and <laughs> because Harrenhal's a very dark place. We've established that many times, but... Um, yeah, just like um, hot pie recommending sprinkling stones over pie crust. And then, you know, Arya's conversation with Jack and Hagar where she names him and he's, he's like, no, no, take that back. Yeah, um, Arya is starting to learn the rules of this game that Jack has got her playing and he doesn't like it, I don't think. Um, no, no. And so Arya basically uses the fact that she could name him as her third name and mm. she's basically got a gun for hire um, in this episode. And she keeps, basically, she has the power to keep naming him and to get what she wants. <laughs> um, and there's great lines in it, like, um, a man can go kill himself. And the way that she kind of throws it off, like, she mocks the way that he refers to himself in the third person all the time. And then goes, oh, oh. a man can go kill himself. Yeah, it's true. And immediately after that, Jack and says, or oh, name me. It's the first time he doesn't refer to himself as a man. He just says, mm-hmm. or name me. <laughs> like, please don't do this, because I would have to honour it. And then they would both lose, because Arya still wouldn't be in the... I mean, Arya knows that she would never, you know, that Jacken would never do that, and that's what she uses against him. But yeah. the amazing takeaway from this, I guess, is that they are out of Harrenhal. They're out of the castle. They're back on the road. The... Yeah. happy, lovely, yeah. travelling band of kids that you really waited, you, you were so excited to see at the end of the first season and were on the road for a couple of episodes at the beginning and now back on the road again. They've been at Harrenhal for a bit and now they're out of Harrenhal. It's a place they won't forget. 
it's a place that fans of Game of Thrones never forget because of how miserable it all is. Um, but now they're out and they're on the road. And where do you think they might go next? God knows. They're going on a road trip. It should be fun. I, um, I mentioned before about the comedy in Heron Hall this week. Even this was like, because they're, they're sort of hiding behind a wall. It's like, well, how are we going to get past the guards? And they just, they, they don't have an answer to that question. So they just sort of go for it. And then to their discovery, it's like all of the guards are dead. So they just mm-hmm. kind of walk through the gate. <laughs> it's like, it, it, you know, given what we know about Harrenhal and it being this vicious place where few make it out alive, to just walk through the gate at the end, it's like, oh, okay, we're, uh, we'll be off now. It is a little bit, um, I'd say it's a teeny bit contrived, but... Maybe. That's maybe. the power of Jack and Hagar, I guess. I was going to say I did wonder, because it would have been difficult to do it all himself, but we know that there were the other prisoners from from when they were on the road, right? Mm. They were the first ones to mention Jack and Hagar, so I'm wondering if he maybe called in a favour. And we see them in this episode because they, one of them kind of threatens Arya again and then they yeah. get called off. So you think he might have help? Yeah, yeah. All right then. Yeah, I like I like that. Um, I suppose the thing that is mentioned briefly but doesn't form a crucial part of the plot of the episode is that Tywin is now fully aware of Rob Stark's movements. And yeah. has gone to meet him in the field. Or is aiming to meet him in the field, leaving Harrenhal, because they are a little bit stuck where they are. So all they can do really is ride out to meet him. And there's this splinter force that's been sent to River Run. Uh, the mountain mm. has gone to protect the River Run and sort of or sort of like hold it under siege. But that's the land he's going to be occupying for a little while. He's going to be commanding that army over that side of the country. Um, and yeah, we're going to have to wait and see because now all of a sudden the, the plot has basically left Harrenhal behind. We're all go- it's all gone, and so yeah, yeah. Out of nowhere, Tywin, Arya, Jack and Gendry, Hotpie, the Lannister army, etc. Every, every, everywhere's just, you know, Harrenhal's like an empty castle all of a sudden. It's like you turn around, it's like, oh, no plot here. And so yeah. where do you think it goes from here? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned Tywin going to meet Rob. I'm looking forward to that because I've, I've loved Tywin this season. Mm. Been made possibly my favorite character, even even I don't know if he's been mentioned as my favorite of the week, but he's always delivered. Just Charles Dance is incredible in this season. Um, where it goes from here, well, I th- I think we've not seen the last of Arya and Hop High and Gendry's troubles on the road, but yeah, I'm I'm really curious. Okay. Shame to lose. Shame to lose this location, though, because we did, as we've discussed, we've seen a lot of great stuff from this. Probably the best of the season so far. Yeah. No. It is. Yeah. It is a, a very memorable location. And you know, one day we may come back. One day we may not. Um, Maybe. But it will always live on in our memories. Mance will want to question this one. Knows all about where the crawls are and what they're planning. The half hand knows more. This one's just a little boy. Got him. He could have killed me half a dozen times. And now he wishes he did. Got him. 
Well, he's a bastard of Winterfell, Ned Stark's son. Mance will want him. Egret presents John to the Lord of Bones, who it turns out had already captured Corin Halfhand off screen. Uh, Egret tries to keep John alive at first, and then Corin Halfhand starts to kind of do the same. Uh, pushes John to the ground and calls him a bastard in a bit of a in a bit of a show, in a bit of a performance. At which point, the Lord of Bones steps in and tells him that John is not Corin's to harm or kill, and mm. that other things might be coming for him. In later episodes so yeah stuff beyond the wall this week my main takeaway really is that egrets tried to keep john alive here yeah yeah what do you make of I that i think she's i mean she's maybe realizing that she has at least some affection for john or possibly even show maybe just showing remorse for luring him into a trap after he because he did spare her life Ultimately, mm. he was supposed to kill her, and he didn't. So, yeah. Um, and there is that mention of um, she says to John, like, "Now we're even." When she um, she stops him from being gutted by the Lord of Bones. Yeah, which is a great name, by the way, and a great look as well. It you is know, a the, killer the little, look, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the little skull mask. Love it. It's um, I, it's never really mentioned, but I think it's a giant skull. It's like the top half of a giant skull. Yeah. Or something or other. But yeah, I think if you want to look badass and look like a commander, wear that thing and just have a big long staff that looks like a big bone and look scary. Because why not? <laughs> um, yeah, we get another mention of Mance Raider as well, who we haven't met yet. Am I right? Uh, no, we haven't. No. Okay. Yes, this uh, almost mythical now, King Beyond the Wall who keeps getting yeah. brought up, but still hasn't been seen on screen. I did want to ask, actually, something that I have not mentioned uh, just yet, is the other scene beyond the wall where Sam, Ed, and Gren are digging at the Fist of the mm -hmm. First Men, and Gren's sword, uh, Gren's shovel, sorry, stabs into something, and it's just hard, solid ground, and then there's like a rune, like a spirally rune thing, and then they lift up the rune, and there's a little, sort of like a little satchel that's been made out of a Night's Watch cloak, and in it um, are obsidian and dragon glass, and they're like these shards of it. And it's clearly they've, you know, they've been left there thousands of years ago. And Sam, bookish as he is, seems to know this. Um, I'm curious as to what you make of this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't, I, I don't think I could speculate as to what it is or where it came from. The horn looked a bit like one of those, you know, those drinking horns that you occasionally see. I think, like, I've yeah, seen yeah. I, I, this is tangential, but I've seen them in a Viking bar in Stockport. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> which, which, which eventually closed to, to great shame. But, but yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's impossible to speculate on as to what that might be, but the theory is that they've been there for thousands of years, right? That is the theory, yeah. And it's is it uh, has it been mentioned before that sort of the the darkest, longest winter was thousands of years ago? What was that? No, no, More no. Recent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on the right track there. That's right. Okay, so it could be a sign of things to come, maybe, but... 
Yeah, I don't think I know where it's... I don't think I could guess where it's from at the minute. But yeah, for, um, I was speaking to my friend uh, Layla as we were watching this and she was like, oh, first mention of Dragonglass. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what that is. I don't want to ask what that is because inevitably it will spoil something big. I decided two things that day. I would not waste my years planning dances and masquerades with the other noble ladies. And when I came of age, I would never live in a slave city again. I'm sorry, Your Grace. You told me of your problems and I blathered on. I don't want to marry the Frey girl. I don't want you to marry her. Rob is walking with Talisa, talking about how being a lord is very much being like a father when he learns that Jamie Lannister has escaped his cell. Uh, Catelyn admits that Brienne is escorting Jamie to King's Landing to trade for Sansa and Arya, and then Catelyn is placed under guard. Uh, Roose Bolton lets Rob know that his bastard son is just days away from Winterfell, and... We see a couple of scenes with, we see one scene with Jamie and Brienne who bicker a little bit and then they get in a boat and they head downstream. And later that night, Talisa visits Rob in his tent and she explains where she came from, why she decided to be a nurse, why she's ended up in Westeros. And after hearing her story, Rob is convinced that he will not follow through on his oath to Walder Frey from the first season and will instead marry Talisa, and the two have very, very lovely sex together on the floor of the tent where anybody yeah. could walk in. And any, yeah. anybody could say, hey, Rob, just, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, didn't mean to intrude there. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's their relationship uh, gone to the next level. So a lot of meaty stuff in the Westerlands this week. What do you make of it? Um, yeah, but I mean, Probably the highlight of this week, actually. Yeah, I think just the, the dynamic of the relationship between Rob and Catelyn, even though we only see it in that, that first scene between them. But also, yeah, it's good to see Rob and Talisa finally sort of... It, it was turning into a bit of a will-they-won't-they, they, and it was, it was obviously going to turn out they, they love each other madly. Um, but yeah, uh, going back to the first scene... I think Rob and Catelyn are both kind of right, but from different angles. Okay. In that Rob, of course, he wouldn't want Jamie to be released because it undermines his position in the war against the Lannisters. But Catelyn is possibly also right to consider that freeing Jamie might be the only way to have her other two children back. Yeah. It's a funny position that she's been put in. I think, to be honest, I don't think that Rob would be terribly... I think if she'd put this idea to Rob when mm. he'd come back, I think that he would have been initially reluctant, but I think, you know, he would have been understanding. But it is the yeah. fact that this has all been caused by the fact that she's not told him and that... She has kind of gone behind his back a little bit. And I think that Lord Carstark was a bit over the top referring to it as treason because she's mm, not done anything yeah. against Rob's wishes and she's not done anything to harm Rob. But at the same time, 
as you said, Rob is also right to be annoyed because she's made a huge decision that potentially compromises their position in this war and it reduces the value of their terms because part of their terms was Jamie being returned to King's Landing in exchange for Sansa and Arya. But now Catelyn's kind of taken that step out because, A, we have no idea whether Jamie and Brienne will actually make it to King's Landing. We we, we don't have a clue that, that they could both be attacked on the road or... Jamie could escape, or Brienne could just, I don't know, throw him in a river because she gets really annoyed with him, or, you know, <laughs> it could be anything. And it's, yeah, very, very yeah. understandable, but kind of foolish decision. And the, I suppose on the other hand is that last week it did make the case quite strongly that Jamie also couldn't stay around the Stark camp because it was becoming a minute-by-minute development that people were just getting increasingly annoyed with the fact that he was still there, still alive, not able to be stabbed, shot (laughs) with an arrow or something like that. And there were people wanting to harm him and hurt him, so she's kind of got him out of harm's harm's way. But Mm. it has gone against Rob's wishes, where he's kind of casually returning from the crag. I've got a hot new girlfriend, and I've got loads of medical (laughs) supplies. And then to be... you know, told that the main prisoner that he has that's gone disappeared, and that they went to went they went to great lengths to capture at the end of last mm. season and sacrifice yeah. three thousand men to do it has now kind of been made a bit redundant, and it's all happened behind his back. And again, this is the wonderful thing really about Game of Thrones, which is that it makes you understand the foolish things that people do and the desperate things that people do in time of war and this is a minor i think this Mm. is a minor inverted commas crime that's been committed across the course of this season it's not been utter carnage on the battlefield it's kind of like a slightly hasty exchange of prisoners but it does go a long way to backing up Catelyn's point of view, which is that she has two... Well, she believes that she has two daughters trapped in King's Landing with nowhere to go. And Mm. Jaime might be the only collateral, but obviously the worry that Rob has is that once Jaime reaches King's Landing, that could just be like, right, well, that's me done. I'm here. We'll just keep Sansa and Arya. And... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's easy to see from from both points of view. It's very... you know, you can sympathise with them both. Hmm. Although it does it does seem slightly unclear what Rob's plan for Jamie was. And it, it does seem like you can't just keep him prisoner forever because it's going to keep happening where he becomes a liability and you can't keep him in a cage for so long because he will find a way to escape. And then what? You just kill him and we've wasted your collateral. I think the plan was that once Rob won at King's Landing, he would hand Jamie back over as part of the surrender, and then they would get Sansa and Arya back. I think that was the idea, but that's a very long way off being achieved. And it's very optimistic that that would happen. You mm. would have to have that have all of those ducks line up in a row for that to even take place. And yeah, as the opposition, you can't count on that. No, absolutely not. Um, I want to talk about the quickly uh, the scene. My favourite scene in the whole episode, I think. Uh, Brienne and Jamie's <laughs> pairing is just yeah. superb. Like the, oh, they God, are yeah. just 
they're kind of perfect screen presences together because she's just like it just feels like the ultimate road movie all of a sudden <laughs> where you have the annoying sidekick <laughs> that really gets on the main character's nerves um <laughs> And so you get lines like, um, you know, all my life men have been trying to fight me and all my life I've been knocking men like you into the dust. And, um, you know, and the fact that she just doesn't talk, it's uh, like Shrek and Donkey all of a sudden. um, Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. No, wonderful, wonderful little scene. Uh, It's only brief, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we get loads more of that kind of content because I love that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I like poor Brienne. Like first she loses Renly, and now she loses the will to live. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's great. I I really I kind of wish we'd see more of this, but I don't know what more you can do with it. It's just Jamie gets on Brienne's nerves. End scene. Yeah, um, there may be more of that to come. Um, <laughs> you would expect that there is between now and maybe the end of the season at the very least. Um, Fingers crossed. And then we'll see where they go from there. But um, I, yeah, did want to talk about Rob's scene with Talisa as well, where Rob is not just following his heart here. I also think it's a, it's an act of rebellion against Catelyn almost because Catelyn has been reminding him this season that he is betrothed to this daughter of Walder Frey, whose first name he doesn't know. And now that Catelyn has quote-unquote, betrayed him, he sees this as, no, I'm making the decisions now. This is my time. This is my time to start making big decisions for myself. I'm not going to listen to my mum anymore. And he decides to... I mean, I don't blame him. Una Chaplin's really gorgeous. But... um, Yeah, true. Yeah. And she also has a very compelling backstory as well. Oh, she does, um, yeah. Yeah, well, what have you got about Talisa's backstory? Um, I just wanted to mention before that, that because um, you mentioned that Rob is due to be married off to Walder Frey's daughter, and you have to remember, like, the whole reason we're here is because Sansa was due to be married to uh, Joffrey Lannister, yeah. or Joffrey Baratheon, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, you can understand why he'd be a bit wary of entering into an arranged marriage with somebody who doesn't know from another feudal family. But yeah, I was go- um, about Talisa's backstory. Uh, she-, she mentions, what was it, her brother was... My brother was... Was it killed or injured? Or? He was basically... They were playing in the river. Uh, Volantis hmm. is a city in Essos. Um, yeah. Not saying who we visit there with, uh, but we do visit Volantis in the show. Um, okay. in the future but so you'll get to see it but the Rhoyne is a river that runs through Volantis and right. uh, it was a really hot day and her parents were away at a long wedding of a family friend or something and the second day of her parents being away it was a really really hot day and mm. they were all in the river having fun and she was hanging out with a friend and then she realises that her brother's missing and then she turns around and she finds that her brother is just floating upside down in the water as uh, you know, mm. he's drowning. And, yeah. um, so she's panicking and rushing about. And then a man with a fish tattooed on his face, it was a slave worker on a ship and they're tattooed as such so that you don't have to speak to them. Uh, you can just sort of know what they are without addressing them. 
pushes her to the mm. side, which is a crime for a slave to touch a highborn person, let alone push them. But the slave saves her brother's life by basically giving him CPR. Now, she doesn't know what CPR is. She just sort of says, you know, he was pressing on his chest. Mm. But basic CPR saves this kid's life. And from that moment on, she sort of says, I don't want to live as a highborn person. I want to help people. I want to get medical training. And I want to get to a place where slavery is not legal. And slavery is illegal in Westeros. Yeah. And that's how she ends up where she is. And Rob Stark is so compelled by this that he gets all weak at the knees and declares that he doesn't want to marry the Frey girl. He wants to marry this wonderful nurse who has it's, yeah. come from yeah, land afar. I was going to say, it's interesting. They both ended up where they are because of something that happened to their younger brother. Okay. If you think about that, because um, the whole reason that this... Um, this feud between particularly Catelyn Stark and the Lannisters began is because um, Bran was pushed out of the window by um, yeah. Jamie. Yeah, so in kind of indirect ways, they've both ended up in this position because something happened to one of their family and it, mm. it sort of caused a series of events in them that took, caused them to take the path that they did I'm I'm rambling here, but... No, no, this is great. This is a great observation that I've never considered before. That they're brought together by very similar parallels. Yeah, and they're, they're both brought into, into wars, but in very, very different ways. Ah, that is... Yeah, no, that is, that is very, very... Uh, that is very, very wonderful. Um, it's a really good observation. I'm glad you've made it, because I think it shows... I mean, I know that you are anyway, but I think it shows that you're engaging with the show in a way that whenever a bit of a Game of Thrones veteran like myself takes a newbie through the show, you always hope that the person you're taking through it is interested on it in the show on that level to pick those kinds of things up and to remember details from way back. I should um, I should mention as well, it kind of takes us into our final location, that Rob orders Mercy to be shown to any Ironborn except Theon, you mm. know, to, to persuade his men to betray him, which, given what we see in Winterfell this week, seems quite likely could happen. Who was that out there, hung up at the gates? Must have been the farmers, boys. Killed them, burned them. <laughs> and passed them off as little lots. <laughs> they mustn't know. Bran would blame himself. They'll never hear it from me. <laughs> the little lads have suffered enough. Theon begins the episode by sort of ordering the messenger ravens to be killed in order to conceal Bran and Rickon's deaths. And Yara Greyjoy then arrives and says, Theon, Dad wants a word. you got to come home. You may have overstepped a, lot, uh, overstepped a mark here. And she chastises him for his mistakes initially. But then, you know, she says, you're still my little brother and I want to protect you. Please don't die so far from the sea. Hmm. But he refuses to abandon Winterfell. And then as the episode ends... Maester Lewin is wandering about and he discovers that Bran and Rickon are actually still alive and they're hiding out in the Winterfell crypts with Osha and Hodor. 
and the boys that Theon burned are, you know, as you said last week, they are revealed to be the farm boys that we briefly checked in with, and Mm -hmm. Theon at the moment is arranging for the farmer to be paid for his trouble. Yeah. I'm pretty sure having your sons killed is not just trouble. Yeah, probably not. You know, at least Theon's beginning to see the error of his ways there, at least with that incident. Um, well, <laughs> don't know about maybe. that. Maybe. This is Theon we're talking about. This is Theon we're talking about, and we do have to get the bell out again. Theon's very much lost again in this episode. Indeed he is. Um, title of the episode is spoken aloud in the first line of dialogue. I'm pretty sure that is the only time that ever happens in the show. <laughs> uh, ah, the Prince of Winterfell. Um... I'm pretty sure that is the only time that happens in the sea in the whole show where the first line of the episode is the title of the episode. <laughs> is that the um, Leo DiCaprio pointing at the screen moment? It is a little bit, yes. Yeah. Um, we have had moments like that in the show, and we will have again, where the title of the episode is spoken aloud in the dialogue, but not the first line. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, um, quite funny, I thought. Um Yara, clearly much brighter and a more capable commander than Theon, who is just, as I said, lost, weighing over his head here. What have you got about Yara and Theon's relationship in this in this little scene? Yeah, it's a very relatable sibling relationship, isn't it? It's It's like at once she kind of admonishes him for being, quote, a stupid cunt, for killing the... the another quote, Stark boys, and sort of making him public enemy number one, making himself that out of choice, which is just stupid. But she also cares about him enough to want him to return home and not die so far from the Iron Islands. And like whether he'll listen is another thing, because this is Theon we're talking about, and his obsession with pride and image it might cause him to make a foolish decision, such as staying in Winterfell long enough for Rob slash Roose Bolton's forces to overwhelm him and the Greyjoy army. Yeah, that's true. But I do I do love this because Yara kind of swans into the castle yeah. and makes a bit of a fool quite rightly makes a bit of a fool of Theon in front of all of his in front of all of his mates and embarrasses him and mm. then when they're all away, I think the scene's quite touching where there is something this show relies on quite a lot, actually, and I think you'll notice this. Yeah. Um, where in order to humanise a character who's maybe done something quite bad, they always go back to a scene from their childhood. <laughs> and it's something, it's and it, it's, it's always something that happens where every now and again... I can think of two other examples straight off the top of my head uh, in future episodes of the show where if you want somebody to explain their feelings about somebody, you have to go back to when they were children. Or if you want to, you know, suddenly, you know, really make a character feel sympathetic in the moment, always go back to a story about the childhood. And this is another one of those early, this is an earlier example of it, where in order to, in order to humanize and understand the feelings between Yara and Theon in this scene, you just go back to the fact that she was annoyed with him when he was a child and a baby and he was screaming the place down and she Mm. wasn't sleeping and she wanted to strangle him and she just didn't 
because she's a good person <laughs> she didn't strangle a baby but i suppose in this universe not strangling a baby's you know sainthood um yeah but no it is it is it is a nice scene between two characters that have made a lot of decisions this season that directly conflict with our sentiments and what what we want for them and we what what we want for the people that their decisions are impacting Mm. and yeah it's just nice to be able to get these moments these quiet moments away from the chaos of a battle and it there's a lot of in this episode there is a lot of characters saying things and doing things that is reminiscent of the pointy end from season one where there's a lot of children wanting to be or needing to be protected where Yara's telling Theon like you know please let me protect you and Cersei is going after Tyrion because she wants to protect Joffrey and Mm. you know and there's this line where Rob Stark says that if you're a lord it's like being a father only only you have like thousands of children and you worry about every single one of them and yeah. a lot of this episode is a lot about responsibility and people who feel responsible for characters that we're following. And I think that this is an example of um, someone who's older, like she is still his older sister and he's still the little brother. And I think that it's funny if we could bring out the Lily Allen song Alfie again right now. <laughs> I feel like um, it would be quite suitable. And yeah. Theon's been very... I mean, Alfie Allen's been excellent this season at playing someone who is weighing over his head but desperately wanting to prove something. Yeah. And also doing a lot of awful things in the name of this stupid status that he's pursuing. This feels like a lot of it came home to roost for him in this episode, even though he hasn't lost the castle and he's not been killed and you know all of that like nothing's actually happened to him but i feel like emotionally he understands the i mean last week when he hoisted the bodies up in the court of winterfell it, regret was what washed across his face immediately and it feels like with better influences he wouldn't be the person that he's currently being yeah and i feel like yara recognizes that she recognizes that He's not an, you know, he's not an evil, sadistic person. He, he's been, as we mentioned, he's been influenced by um, exterior forces, sort of led to led to actions that he wouldn't usually take as a rational person. No, and one of those was burning some farm boys and passing them off as Bran and Rickon. And you, to be honest, last week you were dead on it. They are alive. They're hiding out in the Winterfell crypts. They're hiding in plain sight. Um, and Bran now knows because he's awake that, unfortunately, the two farm boys were killed in his stead. And obviously he's not to blame, but Bran won't see it that way. And no. it's about the consequences of that, really. But I'm very... I'm, I'm sure you are glad to know. I mean, I'm sure you never really felt that they weren't, but um, that... Bran and Osha and Hodor and Rickon are all still alive. Yeah. And it's all still being all lovely and friendly with each other. Yeah, I mean, it's if anything, it's kind of a surprise that they went to this so soon. I feel like this might mm. have been dragged out to a couple of you know, a couple of episodes, and the theory is 
of like what I was expecting was what I mentioned in the last episode where it's Theon saying, yes, they're definitely dead. And the sort of doubt growing in the Greyjoy army of like, are they really though? And mm. and then we find out. But I I mean, it's 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 not a bad thing, I don't think. It's slightly surprising to see that they're hiding so close to the scene of this siege in Winterfell. I thought maybe Osha being a wildling, she might have taken them a bit further afield. And All I will say about why they've revealed it this early is that the next couple of episodes will explain why they revealed it now. Okay, cool. So, um, I, well, we have come to the end of The Prince of Winterfell, moving swiftly on and away from it. Um, in a couple of weeks, we will have the second part of our interview with Sam from Cry Wolf Pod. Um, I know that a lot of people who have uh, come to us and have said that they really liked that interview, the second part of it where me and Sam go deep in on season eight, uh, we talk a lot about it and uh, for just over an hour, actually. So you'll get a load of good content on that. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's all very spoilery. Um, we've got our season two review in a couple of weeks as well. And in that season two review, we have quite a major announcement for the show, which we alluded to on Twitter last week. And we're kind of keeping under wraps because we don't want to break the spell. Uh, but until next week, what I want to ask you, Lizzie, is for your loser of the week for this week. My loser of the week is a first timer, actually. It's Cersei. Okay, I was wondering, really, because we do so much hopping around, mm. I was wondering if you had a solid pick, and I did think that Cersei might get in. Well, I think just the vindictiveness of what she does, and also who she does it to. Roz has always been a favourite of mine, because she's one of the only sort of true neutral characters in the show. And to know that Roz is being held captive because of this feud between Cersei and Tyrion... It's just like, yeah, it's automatically Cersei. And your winner. Who's your winner? My winner of the week is Arya. Okay, and why Arya? Yeah, I've mentioned before, I love those scenes with her and Jack and Hagar so much. Um, And yeah, she finally made it out of Harrenhal. I'm so happy for her. And also so sad that we'll never see those scenes between her and Tywin again. What we what we lose from those scenes, we may gain from others. Who knows? Indeed, sure. Um, uh, yeah, so interesting battle for your winner of the season so far. Egret, Arya, and Tyrion have all got two votes. Ooh. And there's two episodes left. And yeah, so it's getting a bit tight there. Indeed. So that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, right, so we will be back next week for season two, episode nine, penultimate episode of the season. Unbelievably, Blackwater, it is called, which is an ominous title, I think. Uh, Yeah, so we will see you then. Thanks for listening this week. 